Welcome everybody. Um, Miss O'Malley and myself are together chatting about Macbeth and we thought it would be useful to have a bit of a conversation that we could record and these could be part of an off-the-cuff series of podcasts that just record us chatting away about our favourite subjects in literature. So today we're going to think about kingship and sovereignty in Macbeth. Absolutely nothing is scripted. We're just going to have a conversation, um, throw up some ideas, have a chat around any of the key concepts in our play. And we're just going to go from there. So watch this space. Let's go. Yeah. So the first thing we're going to be looking at is Duncan as a king, because obviously he's the first um, king that comes up in the play. And what we wanted to consider firstly is just whether we believe him to be a good king to his subordinates. So, Mrs Noon, do you think he's a good king? Is he a good king? He's certainly beloved by his people, isn't he? And they're certainly fighting hard for him in, on the battlefield against Norway. Um, I think he gets called a gracious king. Mm. Um, there is an attempt to kidnap his son, Malcolm on the battlefield and he's horrified so I think he I think he's a good king but I think he is too trusting he talks about being trusting of Cordor doesn't he yeah um and being completely shocked yeah um at the fact that this this traitor had deceived him so terribly um so we know that he's already I wouldn't call him naive would you but I might call him oh Somebody who, who can be duped. But, I don't know, do you agree? Do you think that a king yeah. might run that risk of traitors? I was tempted to call him naive when I first started looking at it mm. because I think that he doesn't really consider that there's people out to get him until it happens with Thane of Cordor. And I think he just instantly doesn't learn from that mistake. He just gives the Thane of Cordor straight to Macbeth without any true consideration yeah. of it. And he even makes Macbeth... Um, third in line to the throne after Malcolm and Donald Bain. And yet he's got no reason to distrust Macbeth at this no. point now, has he? No, because obviously all Macbeth's done is be a really good soldier. <laughs> and it's like he doesn't understand... I don't think Duncan really understands that people have their own ulterior motives sometimes and he hasn't really considered it. So in terms of kingship, do you think he feels a bit too secure in his position? Possibly, then? yeah, because he's got two yeah. sons beneath him yeah. and he's got Macbeth who's third in line. So I think, yeah, he's feeling a little bit too cosy. And I think the Thane of Cordor does disgruntle him a little bit, but then he just goes straight to giving it to mm. Macbeth. But he's not soft, though, is he, Duncan? Because he's got, he's got an element of backbone to him because he automatically decides yeah. that he's going to execute Cordor. There's no, no discussion about it. It's like, uh, And then he wants to know if it's been done, doesn't he? Yeah. Has, has execution been done on Cordor? And he gets a little bit impatient. Mm. So he's obviously got a backbone. He's obviously a strong king. But, but maybe just too trusting and maybe... I know a few years later, I think about Elizabeth I, called, she had a really good system of spies, yeah. didn't she? Yeah. Um, and Cecil uh, was involved in all of the espionage in her court. I don't know whether Duncan had the same. And we know that... Possibly. In history, King Duncan isn't the same King Duncan as we've got in Macbeth. We know that Shakespeare messed about with the facts, didn't we? Yeah. And actually, he wasn't quite a... As nice a man, he was a bit weasley. He wasn't loved by his people very much, was yeah. he? I know. Mm. And I think if but if we're looking at Duncan as a good king, mm. I do think he's able to lift the people around him in a lovely way. Mm. And he understands how to pick up on people's 
um, good qualities. And he talks about wanting to plant Macbeth. He does, And he, he says, I have begun to plant thee. And I think that's such a lovely quotation to pick out because it shows he, he wants to build up others around him. Yeah. And I think that that elevates him as a king because he's able to put people in positions of power and trust that they are able to do that. And oh, what a great idea. Part of good leadership is being able to delegate tasks yeah. to others yeah. and he does it really well. And I think he he's also so loving towards them as well. When he meets Banquo, he gives him a hug and... You can see there's that friendship. It's not just um, a very formal relationship. He has a friendship with them and he trusts them. I like what you were saying about almost mentoring the people yeah. around him, like mentoring Banqu- uh, Macbeth in particular, like nurturing him yeah. and growing him. What a super idea. I've not really thought about that. I love that idea. But he doesn't realise that Macbeth isn't going to flourish into that flower that he wants. Macbeth actually becomes a weed and will ruin Duncan through... Because if, if Duncan had never given him Thane of Cawdor, would Macbeth ever have wanted to grasp becoming king? So Duncan made a fatal error without ever really Being understanding the consequences of it, of yeah. It, of course. And oh, we spoke about this before, didn't we, that we think that's maybe the turning point in the play. Yeah. When that that greeting of Thane of all hail Thane of Cawdor is fulfilled, that's yeah. it then. Because it's that that sends Macbeth into this flurry of terrible thoughts and really does start to wonder about... He gets that image in his head, doesn't he, about it unfixes him um, and it's the possibility of killing the king. But that that doesn't take long, does it, for him to go from a noble man of virtue to a man who's considering regicide? And I think it's so interesting as well. In in that scene where Duncan says, I've begun to plant thee, he also talks about making the Prince of Cumberland the next in line, which is obviously Malcolm, his son. And straight away, Macbeth says to himself, he wants to overstep the Prince of Cumberland and it's his own ambition. And so straight away, he's not only thinking of killing Duncan, but he's also thinking about how he can get rid of Malcolm at the same time. So do you think overstep, when he says overleap or overstep, do you think he's saying he wants to kill Malcolm or just move him M- out of the way? Push him to one side, is maybe. Is for murder or is it just get rid of him somehow? It's an it depends on how you it? interpret it, doesn't it? But he's, he's definitely got motives of how to get rid of Malcolm. Mm-hmm. He wants his position. And he mm-hmm. and he doesn't really consider Donalbane, though. He, he only really considers Malcolm. Yeah, poor old Donalbane doesn't get a look in, really, does he? No. He kind of clears off to Ireland, and then that's that's kind of it. We don't, we don't hear very yeah. much about poor old Donalbane. So would he have been next? I don't know. I don't know. So would he have had to got, get rid of him? One of Shakespeare's anomalies, I guess, where he just leaves a gap yeah. unfilled. Yeah. I've also thought about if Banquo sensed something was wrong before the death of Duncan, which he does, Mm -hmm. why does he not step in? If he's so close to Macbeth, why does he not, as a friend, say to Macbeth, you know, what's going on? Things seem to have changed a little bit between us and are you okay with what the witches have said? And he does try and bring it up, but he doesn't push it as much as he should do. And if, if Banquo would have said more to Macbeth... Would Macbeth have been able to change his mind? Because all he had was Lady Macbeth in his ear. Like the, like the devil on his ear. But what if he had the angel as well, where Banquo's mm-hmm. saying to him, you know, everything that the witches have said. And it could have changed Macbeth's mind. So he warns him, doesn't he? And he mm. says, um, the powers of darkness sometimes bring us ills, don't they? Yeah. And trick us with direst consequences. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't push it. Do you think he just trusts that he'll do the right thing? at that point because 
you know, he's a man who, yeah. who is reliable and he's trustworthy, isn't he, so far? Yeah. But it is interesting that Banquo doesn't push that. And it's also interesting that Banquo doesn't choose to intervene. Yeah. And do anything to propel his children onto the, yeah. onto the throne, mm. unlike what Macbeth, Macbeth does but you know after the um the murder and and Banquo says I fear thou played most foul yeah. for it why doesn't he confront Macbeth do you think why doesn't Banquo because he thinks of it it's a, it's a it's a thought but he doesn't directly confront Macbeth I wonder why because instead all he does is run away from the from the problem doesn't he, he gets on his horse and he gallops off and he knows Macbeth's going to come for him but why does he do not you, do you think so do you think I, th- you think, I think he does it? do you yeah I think Banquo knows why? and he runs off because he senses it he's you know when he talks about he's played most foully for it yeah. and I think Banquo would instantly recognize that if it's not his life in danger, it's definitely his son's because Macbeth's clearly got this ambition, ambition and got no children. And got no children. Yeah. So Banquo understands that Macbeth's probably a little bit intimidated by Banquo's perceived power. Oh. So Banquo's quite sensible in that sense to run off, and I think I would have done the same because if would it have been foolish for Banquo to confront Macbeth knowing yeah. Macbeth's power or the change in Macbeth that suddenly happened and Banquo's aware of it because he's close to him so it was probably the right decision even though he did get murdered still in the end I wouldn't have stuck around if I was Banquo no because he's already very suspicious isn't he yeah of Macbeth so he's going to make himself uh, another automatic victim probably not I wonder if, if he knows at this point whether Macduff is cleared off mm. you know has he got that information he knows that Macduff isn't going to come, come yeah. to um, the palace for the coronation banquet because, you know, Macduff is a good, honourable man and Banco and Macduff are friends, aren't yeah. they? So you don't know what's going on behind closed doors mm. and that's, I think that's the beauty of Shakespeare is that he leaves a couple of things unsaid mm. or unspoken on the stage which allows us to interpret it in our own way as well and that's the power of Shakespeare as well. Love it, I love it. Okay, should we think about... Um, let's have a think about Malcolm then. Yeah, because poor old Malcolm gets overlooked a bit. I think he gets lumped into yeah. the whole Lennox Ross. Whenever yeah. there's a whole gang of nobles who turn up, we seem to have Malcolm just shoved in. But Malcolm's the heir to the throne. He's an yeah. important man, and and I worry about poor old Malcolm. And I think, especially if you're after getting, you know, a mark or two more than everybody else, I think we have to talk about him because it, he's Definitely. overlooked. Definitely. So he's is the heir to the throne. He. He's a bit, I don't know, we think that there's not much about him, but actually he's really an aggressive, yeah, violent character, isn't he? And he's quite smart as well he is, when he, he talks. He is smart, yeah. Yeah, and it makes me question whether being a good king is down to succession and lineage because it's taught, it's taught behaviour from a very young age that Macbeth doesn't have. And Malcolm's grown up watching his dad or his father or his king mm. being a good king and learning you know learning from Duncan's mistakes too because Duncan probably was a bit too trusting but Malcolm yeah. isn't yeah and you see Malcolm not yeah. being trusting of everybody yeah. around him and he's instantly aware that his life's in danger when his father's died yeah and he says that we'd not be too dainty about going yeah. off about taking the leave and yeah. going off to Ireland and to England yeah you're right and then we also think don't we that 
He's been a bit manipulative with poor old Matt Duff, don't we? <laughs> yeah. So when they have that standoff, yeah. back four, is it? Yeah. And then Matt Duff goes down to England and, and Malcolm has just managed brilliantly to get Edward the Confessor, King yeah. of England, on his side yeah. and give him thousands of godly troops. And then Matt Duff comes down and Matt Duff's sizing him out <laughs> and Malcolm's sizing him out as well. But Matt Duff doesn't like him. He thinks he's too aggressive. Yeah. But but Malcolm's mourning the death of his father, so he wants revenge, doesn't he? And he talks yeah. about um, Black Macbeth would look as white as snow by the time he's finished getting his revenge. Yeah. But then he, he does the dirty on Macduff after he learns that his family have been slaughtered because he, he, he tells him to stop being soft, doesn't he? Yeah, he basically tells him just to get on with it and to use his aggression to go and kill Macbeth. I don't know if he handles it in the right way, to be honest. Like, he doesn't seem to be very sincere towards Macduff by the end. Do you think he end. uses him so that he could be the henchman who kills Macbeth for it? Yeah, I mean, I've always questioned why doesn't Malcolm come sooner to go and get Macbeth. It's like, if Malcolm really loved his country, which is... I think he does love his country, but why does he let his country crumble before his eyes? Knowing everything that Macbeth's done, they've even talked about nature subverting itself and yeah. all of that stuff. And Malcolm's aware, and yet he doesn't come until Macduff comes to get him. And Malcolm even says, I've got 10,000 soldiers here ready, mm. so why is he not already on his way to Scotland? And again, that's an interesting point, because I don't think we get the reason for that, do we? No. Because Macduff isn't going to bring... We don't know how many forces Macduff is going to bring with him. Mm. And we know that... They've all left Macbeth. But where are his forces to join the English forces? Has he brought them all down to, to England? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, so why doesn't he go? I'm not, I don't understand that myself, really. I know that he's mourning. I know that he's angry. I know he's next in line and he wants his, his, his throne and his, his rightful yeah. legacy. Despite everything he says about his aggression and his preparedness to kill Macbeth, he wants Matt Duff to do it because Matt Duff is quite happy to avenge the death of his own family, isn't he? And is take that, him out. Is that where good leadership comes in again, where delegating mm. is is where Malcolm's good mm. and he's going to delegate that job out to somebody else because he doesn't need to get his hands dirty with it. Despite and what he says. Despite what he says. And it will probably propel his power because he's got other people doing mm. his dirty work mm. for him, in a sense. And yet he's a warrior king, though, isn't he? He yeah. needs to be a warrior king. You, you would lead, wouldn't you, from the front? Perhaps. I've always questioned as well, why did they call Malcolm? I think it's Lennox who says it. He calls Malcolm the medicine to Scotland. Malcolm's going to come and be the medicine to fix Scotland. And I always question, it, is not is it not Macduff that's the medicine to Scotland now? And does Macduff not get enough credit for that? Yeah, because they talk about Scotland a lot, don't they? Bleeding, yeah. bleed, bleed. And poor, poor country. country. Yeah. And what a lovely comparison as well to Edward the Confessor, yeah. who is this saintly, pious king and is a man who's got these miraculous healing powers. So we've got this saint-like figure on the throne of England yeah. who can heal his country. And it, and it does give you examples of people who he, who he cured and put little gold lockets around their yeah. neck with prayer, prayers on them. And you've got the tyrant on the throne of Scotland. And you've got somebody like Malcolm who's probably just learning his craft. Yeah. Maybe... Somewhere in between, perhaps. He's got aspirations to be saintly, but he also shares some of the the negative, violent attributes that Macduff actually doesn't like. Macduff says 
Packing in, you're too aggressive. I wouldn't save you if you were... Yeah, Matt Duff tells him, doesn't he? <laughs> I like that bit where Matt Duff tells him. Oh, oh, Matt Duff. Yeah. Okay, what about the women then, miss? Well, we've been questioning what, what happened to Duncan's wife because we have no idea other no. than she's mentioned once in the whole... And doesn't get a name. Yeah, she's nameless. I feel like it's quite a shame, really, that we don't ever get to hear about her. And does she go to... England with Malcolm? Does she go to Ireland with Donald Bain? Is she somewhere else? Like, why does Shakespeare not tell us what's happened to Duncan's wife? And he gives yeah. her no importance no, in the play. None at all. She's she's in the past tense. She was more often on her knees in prayer. Yeah. So it sounds like maybe she's not around. And we've done a bit of research and we can't find her. We know a lot about Duncan. Yeah. But we can't really find her. Um, and so we were thinking, weren't we, that maybe she was the polar opposite to the existing queen, mm. Lady Macbeth, who the only things that she says up until that point are to manipulate and to promote yeah. murder, whereas the only things that Duncan's queen said were things that were said in prayer and that was her duty, like the ideal Jacobean woman. Well, that's great. We'll give her a name, Shakespeare. And, and, yeah. and I worry about, I don't know, misogyny is too strong a word, but I worry about his treatment of women. He, he bumps off Lady M to conveniently, doesn't he? Yeah. At a point when she's no longer useful in the play. It's and like the... Not, not, not unusual that he yeah. does that. It's like they're not worth knowing about unless they are subverting what, what it is to be a woman. You know what I mean? So when Lady Macbeth's on stage and she's completely blows us away with how she acts, you know, and she sort of becomes... At the beginning, when yeah, we first meet her. more of a masculine figure on stage. But if Duncan's wife is said to be this woman who prays and is, you know, subservient to her husband, the king, it's like she's not worth a role in that play because she's just a typical woman and yeah. what's the point in talking about that? Yeah. So it's like he just leaves her out. She doesn't yeah. add anything. Which is such a shame because yeah. she, without her presence you would argue that Macbeth wouldn't go down that terribly negative line but yet again throughout literature and and to some extent cultural beliefs at the time yeah the woman was the temptress and it was the woman who would be in the position of of power to manipulate usually men to behave yeah. in a way that wasn't deemed acceptable and that's a shame isn't it because yeah. The weird sisters are also women, and I know we're moving off the idea of, of kingship, but the weird sisters manipulate the sovereignty, don't they? Yeah. The Lady M calls to the powers of evil yeah. to make her strong and therefore manipulate her husband into taking the crown against his original will, actually. So she's powerful, but, but then is just disregarded, I think, and abandoned... Just suddenly and abruptly. Yeah, it's quite sad, really, mm. that we don't ever get to hear about what's happened. Mm. Yeah. And then the final um, legacy, I guess. So this dead butcher and his fiend-like queen. Mm. Um, they've toppled and Malcolm is declared king by yeah. Macduff. And then we know, though at the end, don't we, that that kingship is probably not secure for Malcolm because Banquo was lying, have not yet taken the yeah. kingship. That's, That's so interesting. I always found it interesting that the coronations never happen on stage. Yeah. So Macbeth's coronation never happened on stage, and neither does Malcolm's, but you would assume Malcolm's would because he's the rightful king and he should be king now. But like you said, Banquo's sons, are they ever going to be king? 
I think that's really interesting how you never really get to find out whether that prophecy does come true and whether the witches have said it to mess with, you know, Macbeth's head or whether it really will come true. And the audience are left questioning that at the end. And there's been so many countless times when in the classroom we've said, Why, where's Banquo's sons? Why aren't they king yet? Yeah. You know, and we've, we've wondered what's gone yeah. on. Is it Flayance's son or does Flayance marry somebody? Yeah. You don't know when you research historically. Can't find out. There's a group of scholars who say that actually Banquo's descendants are related to James I. And, and that's who Shakespeare wrote this play for, of course. Um, and then there's a group of scholars who say, no, that's a load of rubbish and it's just a convenient, romantic kind of yeah. myth that has grown up. But purposely, I, I, my view is that we don't see the coronation um, because it's assumed as a job done, but yeah. I can't help wondering that its absence suggests that maybe Malcolm is not safe on his yeah, own. Yeah, 100%. It's got to be. Otherwise it would happen on stage, wouldn't it? Yeah, and one would think so. Because there's got to be a reason why Macbeth and Malcolm both don't get crowned on stage. There's a purpose to it. Maybe too sacred a a ritual. You go off to Schoon for this ancient ancient place where where Scottish kings have been crowned for centuries. I don't know. Is this too too special, too powerful, too magical, mysterious a ritual to to try and capture on stage? I don't know. It's like the murder of Duncan can't be done on stage as well. You don't see it. So it maybe there is an element that there's um a little bit of mystery behind what happens with kings because if you were to reveal everything on a stage, Shakespeare's in quite a precarious situation there because he's got to please King James and what he presents on the stage and he can't be given too much away because there's got to be an element of mystery around the monarchy otherwise people wouldn't really be that interested in them. Yeah. So. And do you really want to present the slaughter of a king? Because wouldn't no. that undermine James's power? Exactly, yeah. Not, not what you want to do when you're trying to get the patronage of a, an important mm. um, king who's going to pay you wages. Exactly. <laughs> and so perhaps, Miss O'Malley, shall we leave it on that note? Yeah. Until our next Off the Cuff, cuff then, ladies and gents. It's been brilliant. Thank you. See you soon.